0: Hey, welcome to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. So, so great to have you with us tonight. We got a lot of different topics we're going to get into tonight. One is going to be Major League Baseball and the ongoing feud between the owners and the players. And also, you know, who may be at fault, who may not be at fault, and so on. And then later on, we got an unbelievable interview that we did earlier today with Michael Sean Dugard. If you don't know who Michael is, Michael is a writer for The Athletic. He covers the Seattle Seahawks and we talked about so many different topics today. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's definitely a show you and an interview you definitely want to witness today. I want to invite all of you to participate. I can't see everyone that is on today, so for those of you that are coming on and just coming on now, please uh, go ahead, identify yourself, let me know that you're here because I have no way of knowing who is currently online and not online, and i love to welcome you to the show. So please go ahead and do that um, as we are just about to get going here. You know, a lot has happened today. A lot has happened today. Unfortunately, a lot of nothing has happened today. For those of you that follow Major League Baseball, we continue to struggle with this season getting started. And I'm not really sure why, and we're going to get into that in a few minutes. I do want to let you know that if you are joining us live on this platform, this is a live show tonight. This is We want as many people on this platform as possible, and we want to go ahead and communicate and answer as many questions possible. So if you're coming online, please do us a favor. Share with us that you are online, because I have no way of knowing who is online unless you guys go ahead and leave a comment in the comment section. And I also want you to ask questions. One of this, the main focus of this, is to get fan participation. And we're going to talk about a lot of different subjects. And in about 15 minutes, we're going to have an unbelievable interview that we did earlier today with Michael Sean Dugard. Michael Sean Dugard writes for the Athletics. He covers the Seattle Seahawks. And we had an unbelievable conversation about racism. Drew Brees, Colin Kaepernick. Also, we talked about um, his perspective as an African-American on how he felt the white community could go ahead and help out the black community in all of this injustice that is being done. So this is a real powerful interview, one you definitely don't want to miss, and he'll be joining us in about 15 minutes for that. I want to welcome Antonio, my big Bucks fan. Yeah, welcome to the show, Antonio. Um, and I want to go ahead and talk about baseball for a minute because baseball is really beginning to nauseate me. And I know we have a very big Tampa following, very big Tampa crowd. And once again, the players and the owners are still bickering. At a time where it is not necessary. Now for all of you fans out there who honestly believe that the reason that they're not playing baseball right now is because of safety, you are wrong. You are completely wrong. There is no way in heck that this game is not being played right now because of safety reasons. And that's what they want you to believe. But what you have here is you have a bunch of owners who are nothing but a bunch of crooks. They are greedy crooks who want nothing but to get everything their way and to give nothing back. And, you know, it really pisses me off at a time like this when Major League Baseball really could have made an unbelievable platform for themselves and really look good in the public eyes, they failed. Baseball has failed. And I'm not sitting here and blaming the players. And for those of you that are listening to the show, you can go ahead and leave a comment on, you know, if you think one side is more at fault than the other. But at the end of the day, as time goes on and as these owners, as these players keep on bickering, we are just losing more and more time for this game to begin, and you know, people go, "Well, Larry, you know, the players—they're worried about losing money." No, it is not the players. It is definitely not the players. I want to welcome David Foley, um, on the line right now. Another good fan of ours. and today, you know, it just pisses me off that Major League Baseball can't get it together. They just can't get it. To the the owners don't want to lose money. The owners are almost better off. Not playing the season at all. That's the way they're looking at it right now. They are trying to get as little amount of games as possible so they can go ahead and pay the players as little amount of money as possible. It's just wrong, it's ridiculous, and it's ruining the game. These players have a right to the money that they signed these contracts for. And baseball keeps trying to get as much money as they can you know it doesn't matter the years that they constantly make millions and billions of dollars but the year that they may have to lose a little bit more money what are they doing they're crying like a bunch of babies and they don't want to play the game and let me explain to you the players want to play There is no doubt in my mind. I told you this earlier in the show. It is not about safety. Right now, if you think it is about safety, you are being foolish. Nothing but foolish. I'm sorry to say that. But at the end of the day, this is about money, not about safety. Safety is there. These places are opening up. Yes, you may have to play with less fans, but at the end of the day... This is about money. That's all it's about, and the owners are 100% wrong. The players want to play 80 games they want to play it again but at the end of the day now you have the owners today who come back with another proposal saying okay we'll go ahead and play more games but if we play more games we want the players to sign a waiver alleviating them from any liability if the coronavirus happens to infect any of them completely Completely ridiculous. And I'm going to tell you where the problem is here. You know, we can yell at the owners. We can yell at the players. At the end of the day, they're going to need to come to a compromise. But once again, and I've mentioned this many times on my podcast, over and over and over again, Robert Manfred proves to everyone that he has no place being in the position he currently holds as commissioner of baseball. There, I can go ahead and do better than Robin Manfred. There is an unbelievable amount of lack of leadership in Major League Baseball right now because of that commissioner. And let's talk about this for a couple of minutes. Okay, let's talk about last year or two years ago, opening day. You know you're going to be talked to as a commissioner on opening day. What do you do? You go out, you get drunk, and you go on the air, slurring your words. Now that's a leader. Then you have the Astros scandal. And everybody knows about the cheating scandal. You immunize, immunize all the players so that nobody gets in trouble. Same thing with the Red Sox. And now you have a commissioner who has the opportunity. I want to welcome our buddy Charlie all the way from Tennessee on. Um, And, you know, he even says right now, Manfred needs to go. And, you know, he's not getting involved. He has the right to say, get your crap together, let's play baseball. And it just goes to show you how lucky the other sports, the NFL, were Roger Goodell. The NBA with Adam Silver. The uh, NHL with Gary Bettman. How very lucky those leagues are to have leaders that are in place. And the reason why Robin Manfred is not getting involved is the same reason why he didn't punish anybody on the Astros. The same reason he didn't punish anybody on the Red Sox, and so on and so on. It's because the man is afraid to make a decision. Anybody, you know, he had the right to make a decision about Pete Rose. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go into the whole Pete Rose story, but Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. All the commissioner has to do is say, I think Pete Rose should be on the ballot for the Hall of Fame. The guy cannot make a decision, and baseball is tarnished in its name. It continues to tarnish this name, and it's going to continue as long as he is the commissioner of baseball. And I'd love to get some of your thoughts here under the comment sections. You know, once again, we want your participation in everything we do. I want to remind you in a couple of minutes, we're going to have Michael Sean Dugard joining us. He works for the Athletic. He covers the Seattle Mariners. But we're going to talk a lot more about just football. We're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about Drew Brees' comments, about the Colin Kaepernick. And he had some very tough words about President Trump as well. So just an unbelievable, powerful interview that those of you that are listening right now all going to witness. So just incredible. But going back, we don't know when baseball is going to start. You know, as of now, it looks like 60 to 80 games, if we are lucky. But the longer we wait, and I say that again, the longer we wait, the more time we are wasting and the least amount of games we are going to play. And I'm telling you right now, you're hearing it from me, that's what the owners want. The only way the owners can make money is if they play less games. And that's all they care about Is the mighty dollar. So, you know, that's my take on that. Um, I do want to remind you once again we are on YouTube right now, we are on Facebook Live. We have several different platforms. If you're online right now, do me a favor. Just hit the share button on your timeline and go ahead and invite your friends to listen because we're just momentarily away from an unbelievable interview we did with Michael Sean Dugard. And I don't want any of you to miss it. Also, tomorrow night, we are going to have a very special show. Those, you, those of you are from the Tampa Bay area. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about the greatest baseball players to come out of Tampa Bay, and there's a lot of players, and there's a lot of players that you know some people didn't even know came out of Tampa, uh, such as Pete Alonso, who currently plays plays for the Mets. Some people didn't know Pete Rose had ties to Tampa Bay, so we're going to go over all of that tomorrow. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead. And allow our stations to go ahead and identify themselves. And when we come back, we're going to have Michael Sean Dugard joining us. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Frankly Speaking Sports on the Frankly Speaking Sports Network. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports My name, I'm your host, Larry Frank, and we're just minutes away, as I said, of having the great Michael Sean Dugard on the line. Want to remind you all that um, we have other special guests this week. We are going to have Texas Ranger play-by-play announcer on Wednesday, and then David Sims is going to join us. If you don't know who Dave Sims is, he's the great, great... um, Play-by-play announcer for the Seattle Mariners will be joining us Friday. We are going to try to get a couple of people on tomorrow to talk from the Tampa area about the Tampa baseball players, so we are trying to get some people on. But at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to turn it over to an unbelievable interview that we had earlier this morning um, with Michael uh, Sean Dugard, and it's a very powerful, powerful interview Interview. So after the interview or during the interview, for those of you that are listening, will you do me a favor? Go ahead and leave some comments and we'll talk about those certain situations that he discusses right after um, right after the interview. So let me go ahead. We're setting that up now. And we're waiting for that to come on right now. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. It is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to have on the Frankly Speaking Sports hotline with us. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for the athletics. Let's welcome in Michael Sean Duggar. Michael, how are you today?
1: Wow, that's the energy. We're recording in the morning. I didn't... Let me change my energy to match yours, man. All right. I'm doing good. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm doing good, buddy. Hey, listen, I got a little nervous the other day. I I think it was Friday afternoon. I was driving around somewhere, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my phone just starts uh, beeping off the wall. You know, my Twitter account, about like 46 different individuals... That were being laid off at the athletic, and I got worried. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to talk to Michael on Monday. Oh gosh, I hope nothing's happened to Michael. Uh, how has that affected you and, you know, obviously some of the people that you have known?
1: Uh, man, that was really just a bad day, man. You know, we had a we had a lot of good uh, writers who were part of that, and yeah, editors uh, as well. Uh, I want to give us. Just, uh, a shout out to my Seahawks partner, um, Aaron Centres. Uh, That's a good dude, good writer. We just had a lot of good riders, man. I know the Athletic. When we first, you know, launched a few years ago, we had like this vision to like go grab the best of the best, and we we pretty much did, man. You, and then we it wasn't just like old old cats who were like you know at traditional uh, newspapers, and we just snatched them up in every market. I and mean, we did that too, but like we got some young like rising studs too and we still, we still do. Um so that was that was, that was really unfortunate. I mean people wondered I'm still here but uh,
0: yeah I'm going to give a shout out to all my colleagues and that was uh, that was rough and I hope everyone lands on these feet yeah so do I you know I heard that and I was like oh my goodness not the athletic of all you know that's just the one you didn't expect it from it, was, it just caught me by surprise now over the past week uh, you know Obviously a lot going on in the world, you know, you know, besides COVID-19, obviously all the injustice that has been done and the demonstrations and the protests, you know, and then on Tuesday or Wednesday, Drew Brees comes out with these comments. He came out with initial comments, which a lot of people thought were very insensitive, terrible timing, and whatever other way you want to describe it. Then he came out with an apology a couple of days uh, later or the next day. What was your thoughts on that whole Drew Brees situation? I mean, I, well, one is PR people have been working hard this week.
1: I mean, kudos to them. They are earning that salary. Who knew if they, they would have to earn that salary in this way during, like, the coronavirus? I mean, there's statements, his social media is just probably going off the roof, he probably had to get a second cell phone, you know, one for Malcolm Jenkins to cuss him out, and then another for everyone else, uh, to probably, like, talk to him normally, or cuss him out as well, uh, but yeah, it was was a long week for, uh, old Drew there, once you get, once you end up on the same side as the president in anything, you're usually having a bad week. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, on the bad side of the president, you're actually probably doing the right thing. Like when he called for Jamal to be fired from ESPN at the time, you know, Jamal was doing the right thing. All uh, right, he called. I called out Steph Curry. You know, Steph was doing the right thing. I think he's called out LeBron, but I'm not sure. Um, just get you know, my gist though. So yeah, and that part, Jim's having a good week, right? So you're know, you're on the opposite side of the president. That's like a positive. You know, he threw you a fastball down the middle. Uh, the president did, and. actually show some action and show that you're with your teammates and he responded pretty well. Uh because Drew, you know, Drew's Drew reminds me of like Russell Wilson and you know, he's a he's a big brand as well, so like part of this is a lot of brand management. But I I think he's probably handled it with his words as far as best as he can. Um and I said that uh you know, people thought his comments were associated. Which for me well that's true. But for me, um if you go back and look, I saw it on Twitter. Well, someone said it to me, and I, and I quote tweeted the initial thing with, with Yahoo Finance. Which, why was he on there anyway? But uh, I saw the initial thing with Yahoo, and the end of his little clip there, he says that, you know, we're all part of the solution, you know, which includes himself, right? So for him to start off by saying, you know, I I disagree with anyone who's going to kneel and disrespect our, our flag and our country, yada, yada. And then at the end, he's, you know, to end that with what you want to be part of the solution. That's where I was very, with the solution part in there, because that suggests that he does want to care and he does want to listen. But the beginning of that statement suggests that you haven't been listening for four years. So that's why I questioned his comprehension skills. Uh, He he either didn't, he can't get it or doesn't want to. That was the conclusion I drew from a dude who uh, could have, who have been listening for four years Colin on Colin list in August 2016, as he has chosen not to, I would believe, uh, and then put out that statement. So that's that's really where I kind of, like, quote-unquote blasted to a because it just didn't make any sense. And then everyone else caught wind a bit. And, yeah, he, he caught it like a firestorm move.
0: And you were just talking about being on the wrong side of the president and the kneeling of the national anthem. Two points uh, I just wanted to get to is because today, and I don't know if you heard it yet because I know you're on the West Coast, uh, the president kind of came out with a Twitter attack towards Roger Goodell basically for sticking up, you know, for, you know, the players and the injustice and everything. Uh, and, you know, the president was basically once again... He's looking at the kneeling of the national anthem. He's missing the message. But it's it's never. And and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, Michael. But for me, the way I always understood it, it wasn't about kneeling. It was the platform they were using and Colin was using to try to get the message of the injustice that has been being done forever in this world. Yeah, so I did see um, the president's tweet and
1: Roger Goodell, I know he's not very smart, man, but he's in a tough spot here because Roger Goodell gets associated with the NFL, like blanketly when people say like, oh, the NFL hates this or the NFL wants this, right? And as we point to Roger Goodell, when Roger Goodell, is, you know, he, he works for the owners, right? He works for them. You know, and the owners largely make up a a big portion of the NFL as well. There's 31 of them and then whatever's going on in Green Bay. Um, So that's the NFL more than anything. And I I make that distinction to say that Trump is going to make um, Roger Goodell choose here. He's going to make Goodell choose between the owners who he works for and the players who he has, you know, apparently decided to side with because right, Trump ain't with this kneeling, he ain't with this protest, and it's not as much uh, it's that the, the kneeling is in protest of just the flag itself, because it is. Uh, I saw someone point out that to say it's not about the flag, it's to misrep- misrepresent the, the movement. That's not entirely the case. We read Colin's uh, words from August of 2016. He says, I can't, you know, I'm paraphrasing, he says, I can't stand for a flag that's supposed to represent like liberty and justice for all and is not doing that. You know, that's where a protest part comes in. He is trying to call in that is trying to hold America accountable because we have a constitution, we have like principles that the country is like allegedly supposed to stand on and they're not and the country is not standing on them. And so until until, you know, the country holds up its side of the bargain refused to stand for the anthem, so it is a, a kind of about the flag, but it's more about what it represents, and it's more an indictment of America. why someone like Trump can't get on board is he can't get on board with the idea that there's two Americas. Right, I so, said so there's one that like black people came up in, or our base, our base like existence here was changed. and if you're if you're white, your base existence here in America was privilege. Right, so of course that's your ancestral history and that's someone else's you know you're you're gonna see the world different and eventually really recognize there's two different americas trump can't fathom that because he can't fathom an america that hasn't been great there that is quite difficult for him he's also just not that smart um so and the reason he's misinterpreting it is the same way drew Brees was as well This is why trump would think with drew they couldn't fathom an america that wasn't coming from like
0: Talking to Michael Sean Duggar, he writes for the uh Athletic and covers the Seattle Seahawks. And we're going to get in a little bit with the Seattle Seahawks, so um, I just want to let you know that. But while we're on this topic, and you mentioned Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, for the last three to four years, it seemed like I call it if the word collusion is the, cor- the correct word that the NFL is just pretty much decided all the owners that we're not going to take this guy. We don't care how good or how, you know, great of a quarterback he is. And now all of a sudden everyone, which, you know, I don't understand why it has taken this long. is finally understanding Colin's message that he was trying to, you know, convey to everyone. If they go out, Michael, now, and let's say a team does go after Colin Kaepernick, um, are they, and not that that's important or not, but are they admitting that they were actually committing collusion against Colin? I don't know if they'll be committing it. Um, I mean, everything they were doing, right? Like,
1: that's, it is pretty clear. I mean, by either settling the lawsuit there, that means um, that Stephanie and Eric Range were able to dig up enough stuff with emails, text messages, whatever, conversations. They were able to dig up enough stuff to show the NFL and its lawyers that hey look, we go to court we're gonna win, and you guys are gonna look bad. And the NFL's like all right okay let's go go ahead and just wrap that up, put that in the boxing and throw it away. And they did right. That's how settlement work uh, in that in that regard. Uh, so I mean if the teams find them, really it'll look like they're listening. Cause right now it just it it it, it looks like they're trying to listen, but. It's just one of those things where you, you cannot really support the movement that he started if you are blackballing him from your platform. If he had retired or something, that's one thing. But he's like been begging for a job since this. And you guys are just like, eh nah. You know, but then turn around and like will make a Black Lives Matter post or like try to donate money to, you know, community organizations in your respective cities. But it's just like or you do something with the players' coalition, that's that's the thing that doesn't make sense. The Players Coalition both don't know was was basically birthed from Kaepernick's protest, right? Kaepernick is not in the Players Coalition. Therefore when they do the Players Coalition does business with the NFL, it's like how can you truly say you care about the mission of the Players Coalition? When it's it's mission was was basically founded off of a, a a man who you banned from your platform. You know what I mean? That's just Mm -hmm. everything about the whole thing from all the owners and teams is just hypocritical. And it didn't let the guy use your platform. Your platform is where it's most powerful. Right? That's why he put the knee there. You know, he could do the other things that he was doing. I know your rights camps and the uh, stuff like that, but there's millions and millions of lives in the NFL every every week. The platform is the power there. And the NFL recognizes that's where I do, you bounce. Uh, But Colin recognizes, like, that's. That's where I can get this idea off. That's where people will listen to me. First, I'll, I'll get their attention with a gesture, sitting and kneeling or whatever, Then I'll let them know the mission, uh, which he did. I don't think the owners can really, 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 really have any credibility in terms of listening until he has a job. While he's being, like, basically kicked out of the league, how in the world am I supposed to trust you care about what he had to say? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And let me ask you this before we get into the Seattle Seahawks, just staying on that subject a minute. A lot of people want to help, you know, and that, you know, at least for the moment. And I say for the moment, because everything we're doing in the past week to try to get the injustice that was done throughout the United States over the past couple weeks is only going to be good if we keep it moving going forward. You know, can't be a a one-a-week Uh, one week or two week thing has to keep going on until we actually correct the situation a lot of people you know there's some of these organizations and they're giving money they're doing this but a lot of people want to know what you know that don't have money you know that they can just throw around want to know how they can help and you know coming from a white guy like me um to an african-american like you for those people that are saying Michael, we want to help. We recognize this is wrong. There is no doubt about it, but we just don't know what to do. Um, what would you recommend they do? Um, I would start by listening.
1: You know, you got to listen. listen to black people right now. They're angry. They're, they're pissed. We have been for a very long time. Listen to what that is. The American thing is very important. I know a lot of people, I used to work in Northern Idaho, Right? They cover high school sports in, like, Moscow, Idaho, and, like, some of their surrounding cities. I understand that people are, are, like, raised a certain way, right? I've covered kids whose high school was graduating class with, like, eight, eight people, right, in a school of, like, 50. I, I get it, right? In a rural town like that, how how in the world can I expect the education system to truly educate you on how America was really, really brought the truth about America, right? When we have like Columbus Day. Think about that. We celebrate Columbus Day. That's ludicrous. We can't discover a damn thing. There was people here when he got here, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? But in America, we keep that, right? Understanding that, like, fundamental flaw in our education system, uh, it helped me get a clearer view for, like, just, you know, people just don't hit, like, 20 years old and, like, become bigoted racist and prejudiced, right? They're, they're, they're taught privilege as children, and then that just grows and manifests and you get this, like, to America's concept. But listen to us, because we are trying to help you unlearn that nonsense. Like, that's, that's our job, and help you to tell that through our experiences. Once you feel it, once you feel that the George Floyd situation is just one of thousands that have happened, and I mean that, thousands, thousands of cases where police don't just shoot where they choke out, and they beat up, you know, like, it can stop. It's just thousands of those. Once you understand that that's our everyday experience or existence or fear, um, then spread the word. You know, white people are, black people alone cannot undo white supremacy. If that was the case, it'd be done already. You know what I mean? It's like if, 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 if listening to us got the job done, then we'd have fixed it. We need your help. We need white people's help. And it's not enough to just be non-racist. But, well, like, oh, my kid, I'm not racist. I've never called them that N-word. I've never, like, discriminated against. I got a bunch of black me That's fine. That's cool. You're non-racist. Great. A plus. Good job, kid. Now it's time to be anti-racist. And that means you need to be active, you know, about helping. That means you need to be calling out your friends. If they, you know, uh, just black microaggressions, they felt that's out of line. You've got parents who... I don't see color, don't worry about me. No, 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 mom, dad, this is why seeing color is wrong. Or you say well, I think I'll, you, you got a coworker that says that all lives matter, tell them why that's wrong. You got you know, siblings that always bring up black on black crime when this subject comes up, tell them why that's wrong. You got in-laws that like to bring up that, uh, you know, oh, white, white people get killed by the police too. Tell them why that's insensitive. Also, it's mostly inaccurate in terms of them getting killed more. Uh, you know, these are the type of discussions you got to have with people you love who will listen to you and, and, the, and who won't maybe listen to me on a podcast or radio show or article that I read that I come off as the angry black dude. They'll listen to you, though. Right? And you've got to call that stuff out. Be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations and for no other reason than those people can vote. <laughs> and right. Money is very helpful in this yeah. situation. So that's you know, beyond donating money, it's just a conversation. We're trying to unlearn, we're, not, we're trying to undo stuff and, like, help people unlearn years and years and years of, like, basically poor history. It's going to be tough. You're going to have a tough time explaining why all lives matter is stupid, right? But you need to, right? Whether that's your sister, brother, uncle, your, you know, cousin, in-laws, co-worker, boss, whatever. Those, those people need to get in their mind and be willing to fight the fight on behalf of us in the name of equality. That's how every white person
0: right now I could not have said that better myself I agree with you 100% Thank you for those comments Michael Um, I want to go into some football with you As well Um, You know coaches are now allowed Back into the facilities as you know I think it's in Seattle As well I know there's a couple states Which they're not allowed to Uh, You know it looks like Football is going to happen There's no doubt about that but as far as the Seattle Seahawks go, you know, here's a team that I believe they were 11-5 and five last year. I think just behind the 49ers in their division. Um, what is the outlook for Seattle going into 2020? I mean, they're going to have Super Bowl hopes, uh, as usual, because that's what you do when you have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. I mean, the quarterback and the coach of the team to support the people in the building.
1: And continuity there is uh, – always pretty helpful. Well, I guess you're, unless you're Aaron Rodgers or Mike McCarthy, that just kind of didn't go. (laughs) Other than that, you know, the continuity there is essential. So, I think they'll be in the mix, right? They gotta be. You know, they'll have a really good offense. You know, I don't don't know what metrics people are using now for offense. I like to use DVOA because efficiency is more important than some of the raw stats. So, they'll probably have a top 10 rushing offense, you know, Maybe a top ten passing offense as well, but I just have no faith uh, in the defense to be elite. Doesn't mean it's gonna suck or anything, but you need to have an elite position group. Uh, I feel like to win, you know, to win a Super Bowl, whether that's your linebacking group or your run defense, your pass defense, something needs to be elite. You know, like with the with the Chiefs, it's very clear offense is elite, or even the Niners who got there last year. Because um, I know the a problem with kind of how we measure, like, Super Bowl roster each year is that we only use the team that won, which I think is kind of flawed. You know, there you can have a Super Bowl caliber roster, I think, and not win the Super Bowl. I mean, the Saints have had one for about three years. Like, go look at the Saints' rosters the last three years and tell me where the flaw was in the roster. No, they just didn't win because uh, when you get into a single-game playoff in January, you know, it's it's pretty random. But I think the Seahawks have a Super Bowl roster here, so they're going to really need some, some unit to outperform, like, expectation, like, drastically. And that could be Russ. You know, that could be Russ having an MVP season. He's had close to that a couple times. But he needs to, like, have one. Have a Lamar season. Have a Mahomes season. Have an Aaron Rodgers 2014, I might have been, where you're just you're, you're off the charts. And it's just undeniable that you're the best player in football right now. That's, that's kind of what they'll need. I don't know if they'll get it, um, but that's what it's going to take to win a Super Bowl because without Clowney and some other help on the pass rush, I'm not sure if they can have like a, an elite defense to match what should be a really good offense this year.
0: Yeah, and there's no doubt about that offense. You know, let me ask you this, and I know I'm, you know, I, I'm in Arkansas now, but I lived on the East Coast all my life before just moving here, and... For us on the East Coast, for some reason, as a football fan, I don't believe Russell Wilson gets nearly enough credit for as good as a quarterback that he is. Here's a guy, listen you know, last year alone, threw for four thousand over four thousand yards, thirty-one touchdowns, five interceptions, so he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And he's still, you know, am I underestimating what's going on, or do you feel the same way that this guy is definitely one of the most underrated, quarterback, underrated quarterbacks in the NFL.
1: Um, Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think most people know that he's good. Uh, like, most people can acknowledge that he keeps making Pro Bowls. When, he's on, uh, when they're on national TV, the CRs do pretty well for the most part. You know, he he's good for, like, a spectacular player, too, like, every year. that like just, like, you wonder how in the world he pulled that off. But I do think that, like... If you're looking at it from Russ's perspective, you're like, man, I've been consistently good for a very long time. I've never been first team all pro. You know, some things just always happens where people just forget the good season I have because someone else goes off and wins MVP. Uh, like if you think about it from Russ's view, you know, 2013 and 14 when they went to back to back Super Bowls, you know, clearly Marshawn and the defense were the headliners. And then 2015, the back half of the season, he, him and Doug Bowl where they just go nuts for the final like 10 games. And, they call these franchise records, and I think Doug leads the NFC, leads the league in touchdown receptions, right? And then Cam Newton leads the team to fifteen and one, so everyone forgets, um, which is fair. You know, Cam did that. You know, Russ was good in twenty sixteen on a on a sprained MCL, didn't miss a snap, uh, or did not miss a start at least. Uh, but then Matt Ryan goes nuts, right? Wins, you know, Super Bowl. Russ, uh, or goes to the Super Bowl, at least, and wins MVP. Russ, uh, lead the league at touchdown passes in 2017, I believe, with 35. And then, uh, but they don't make the playoffs. So, he can't really get that much left. He only won nine games. And I think Brady wins MVP that year. Uh, 2018, Russ is crazy efficient. Really, really good. You know, even beats Patrick Mahomes, you know, in Week 16 that year. But then Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns. So, well, can't win MVP. Last year, he just read his numbers from last year. Those are outstanding numbers. Really efficient, really good, great deep ball, doesn't make a lot of you know costly plays. He fumbled a lot last year, but recovered a great deal of him. Um, And what do you know, Lamar Jackson becomes like Michael Vick 2.0. There's always something. Uh, That's why I came back to he needs to make it so there can't be a something. He is underrated to an extent, but some of that is just like people have shown to have a different gear than him. From 20, 2015 Cam, 2016 Matt Ryan, 20, 2018 Mahomes, and 2019 Lamar Jackson were all better than Russell. You know, they were. Look at num- all those numbers from those seasons. Those ridiculous numbers they put up, especially Cam. His season was crazy. His number one receiver was Ted Kenjuk. Come on, man, 15 and 1. Um, so I think Russ, Russ is a little bit underrated, and I think it, you know, those seasons are kind of why, in addition to playing in the market, he does. So I think it's going to it's gonna take a big, big, big year. Uh, one of those type of seasons from those like Ryan Lamar, he needs to have
0: one of those, and then he'll be fine. All right, my friend, before we let you go, I got to ask you uh, two quick questions here. Number one, do you see the year of the NFL this upcoming year being in, played in front of fans or not being played in front of fans? That's a good question. I would imagine
1: that it eventually has some percentage of fans, whether that's 20 or 25 percent or something along those lines. I think it's going to be tricky because they need the rules of fairness to be in there. You know, like let's say the Seahawks can't have 20 percent, but the Cowboys can and the Texans can. Can you allow that in the NFL for some teams to have more people in the crowd than others? That's you know, or some, let's say Seattle, and. You know, San Francisco and the Chargers and Rams are all like, oh, well, we can't have fans at all. Meanwhile, you know, in Florida, they can So can yeah. that happen? I think you're going to get a case where government officials are pressured into, like, moving in these phases so you can get stuff like that. Cause it, so, you know, they can get money in the respective areas. Uh, it won't be overt, but I like, keep that in mind when you see some of these uh, politicians, like, seemingly reversing course. On their, on their guidelines, without the numbers changing that much in terms of coronavirus deaths and number of positive tests, uh, so I think we'll have fans. I would say probably a max of like twenty five percent in stadiums, and that'll probably
0: be consistent throughout the fall because you're going to get people testing positive for it more. Right. We're in for a second wave in the fall, probably. Uh, so that, that's my guess. All right, and the last question before I let you go is: is We have a lot of fans in. Uh, actually, we got some in Seattle. That listened to our show, and we got some actually in San Francisco too. And my question I want to ask is first of all, and I know you mentioned that, you know, this offense with Seattle is very, you know, very, very good. Will they have enough on the defensive side to overtake the 49ers in that division? And the second part of that last question is, were the 49ers a one-year wonder and will go back down to just, you know, still be a good team but not like they were last year?
1: Um, You know, it's tough to replicate what the Niners did. A lot of it was like pass rush, and pass rush is like um, not necessarily sustainable year to year. You can have a consistently good pass rush, but to be off the charts, not like they were as hard because pass rush is um, it's a little bit luck. Involved, he was like skilled, that's why we started to use pressures as a stat, just because like a sack, you know, you can have a dude wrapped up, let's say he, like, oh, gets out of, right, because it's Deshaun Watson. So let's say you do that same thing and you, you wrap up, you know, Matt Ryan. right then it's a sack, rest is not, you know, it's play calling, it's a, it's a bunch of other stuff. It's the uh, the quarterbacks that you face every year, I think the, the Niners last year played like a third place schedule or something like that, so they you know caught some really bad teams uh, within that. Uh, I, so, I, I think the Niners will be good, right? I think their coach is good. The coach has proven to be really, 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 like, in a weak offensive mind there. Uh, and their defensive coordinator is good. used to be up here in Seattle, so I think they'll be good. But Seattle was, what, uh, an inch, two inches, four inches away on Week 17 from sweeping the 49ers last year? So, you know, anything can happen, right? Like Seattle can go toe-toe with anyone in any season because that's how Pete Carroll kind of gets down. Their teams are built for that in that way. So I think it'll be close. Once again, I think 12 wins probably get to the division title, uh, which will, I think it, well, they had 13 last year, the Niners. Yeah, they had 13 close. wins, yeah. I think they'll split. Again, I think they meet again in week 17 of this year. So I think it'll come right down to it, just
0: like last year. All right, my friend. Well, Michael, we want to thank you so very, very, very much for uh, joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports. I really, really appreciate our conversation today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. You take care and be safe, okay? All right. Will do. That was Michael Sean Dugard. He writes for the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletics. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host Larry Frank, and What a great, great conversation that we just had with um, with Michael Sean Dugard. Um, hopefully you got to listen to the whole thing. And I know we got some questions while we were on listening to that interview. But just a terrific interview. And, you know, he talked about a lot of things. He talked about Drew Brees. He talked about Colin Kaepernick. And I want to go ahead and break some of that down. And for those of you that are on the line and are listening, I know we've had many guests on different platforms actually listening to us. So thank you very much for joining us with that. But. You know, I want you to go ahead and ask some questions in regards to that. You know, he talked about Drew Brees, and he talked about Drew Brees as far as kneeling down and missing the message. You know, at first, I think a lot of people, when Drew Brees first came out with these comments, you know, Drew said, I cannot agree with anyone that kneels for the National Anthem. Now, there were some people out there that took that as he can't agree with any message that is going on, if you are kneeling for the National Anthem, why other people thought he was expressing that he couldn't kneel, you know, he couldn't, he didn't agree with people that knelt, kneeled for the National Anthem. And at the end of the day, it was just bad timing, insensitive comments. And then later on, he came on, he apologized and said, listen, You know, I made a mistake. Uh, I missed the message completely. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, I somewhat very much against Drew at first. You know, other people like Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal have actually came to his defense saying that people are being too hard on him. Nevertheless, a mistake was made. He owned up to the mistake and showed his true leadership by saying I was sorry. But this all stems back three, four years ago to the... Colin Kaepernick situation and you know everybody and I blame the media for some of this and I was talking to one of our you know one of the radio hosts down in the Tampa Bay area the other day we were chit-chatting back and forth on a text message and I said you know a lot of this was media driven and he said no I don't think it was well I'm gonna tell him right now just like I did then I disagree with that. And that's okay that I disagree with it. Everybody has their opinion. But my opinion is, back then when the media was showing Colin Kaepernick, they were not showing Colin Kaepernick because he had a message. They were showing Colin Kaepernick because he was kneeling during the National Anthem. And the media completely missed the message that Colin Kaepernick was trying to communicate to the world. He used the only platform that he felt was big enough at that time to use in order to get his message out. And the NFL and the media have failed. Now, the media won't admit they fail. They never do. But at the end of the day, the media failed. You can't take that away from them. You know, Colin Kaepernick basically lost his job Because he was trying to communicate a message that nobody understood. Nobody, well, I won't say nobody. There were some players, obviously, that understood it. But at the end of the day, the media, instead of watching, you know, they would keep filming Colin Kaepernick kneeling. That's what they would do. They were watching him kneel. And instead of coming out and saying, the reason why Colin Kaepernick is kneeling is because of, you know, him trying to get a message out, they didn't. They would show everybody that was kneeling rather than communicating the message that they wanted communicated. And I blame the media for that. And I blame the NFL for that because the NFL, instead of taking Colin Kaepernick and going, okay, please try to go ahead and tell us what your message is, they didn't. They failed in the communication process, and they failed miserably. And, you know, now Colin Kaepernick, you know, people say, well, is Colin Kaepernick going to get a second chance in the NFL? There's an opportunity he will, but you know, my question would be if he's good enough at age 32, which he is right now, why wasn't he good enough the last four years? The, the reason is because you didn't understand the damn message and you penalized him for kneeling rather than him communicating what was going on. And there was no excuse for that. There was no right for that at all. And the NFL and also the media should be ashamed of themselves yet the media will not admit they make a mistake as they never do now we did have a couple of questions come through um you know through the hotline and through the uh, message uh, you know about the stadiums um you know we did ask uh Michael Sean Dugard about the stadiums, will they be filled or not? Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I've said this before, whether it's college football or NFL, those stadiums are going to have fans in it. There is no if, and, or but unless, for some reason, the second wave of coronavirus comes back. There is just too much money to lose. The, there's no way college football's going without fans. The question's going to be how many fans and what percentage of the stadium are they going to allow full, um, and that's going to be the big question. Um, right now, you know, if if you go outside right now, and I don't know, you know, if some of you may be able to tell me in different parts of the country, but here in Arkansas, I've been to Missouri, I've been to Kansas over the last couple of weeks, and people, you know, are walking around. You know, not even with masks on anymore. So, you know, I think what's gonna happen is as long as the authorities say it's okay to put stands in you know, fans in the stands. They are going to do that because none of these big time organizations, none of these owners are going to lose money if they have the ability to make money. It just doesn't happen. These billionaires will not do it. You see, as we talked earlier in the show about the different issues that Major League Baseball is having over pennies on the dollars, all because of money. And it's not safety anymore. I mean, you guys can say it all you want. It's safety, safety, safety. And I'm going to keep looking you in the eye and telling you it's money, money, money. That's what it's all about. And I want to remind you right now, we are live. So if you have any questions, go to the comment section. Ask these questions. I'll be more than happy to discuss them and bring up the topic here on Frankly Speaking Sports. We love your participation, and uh, we always... Welcome your participation. I want to remind you of a few guests coming up. Uh, This Wednesday, we're going to have Jared Sandler. If you don't know who Jared Sandler is, he's the play-by-play announcer of the Texas Rangers. And then on Friday, we're going to have Dave Sims. Dave Sims is the play-by-play announcer for the last 15 years. He's the voice of the Seattle Mariners. So just a lot, a lot, and a lot to talk about. But one of the questions that came in, we weren't talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, today, but the question came up about the thoughts of Brady and the Bucs, and I'll go over that in a quick second. Um, But I do want to remind you that tomorrow we got a very special show for you as well. We're going to be talking about the greatest baseball players to come out of Tampa Bay, Florida. And believe me, there are a number of great players that have come out, um, you know, and talking about players, today's players, uh, just off the top of my head, Pete Alonzo, who went to Plant High School in uh, Tampa, Florida, is one of those great players, so we'll talk about the greatest players to come out of Tampa Bay on tomorrow evening's show. So should be a terrific show. We're trying to line up a couple of guests that actually played professional baseball from the Tampa area and we'll continue to do so. But to answer the question that came on the hotline about how the Buccaneers and Brady will do, you know, since you asked and we weren't talking about the Buccaneers today, I will go ahead and answer that question Um. You know, I think a lot of people really have to take a good look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before handing them the Lombardi Trophy. I think a lot of people think because Brady's there and Gronk is there that they're automatically going to win the Super Bowl. And you know what? It's good to be optimistic, and I'm, I like to be positive as well, but at the end of the day, that's going to come down to that defense. The, the Buccaneers by far have the best offense in the National Football League. Um the only question on that team, you know, a lot of people say the offensive line. No, the offensive line will be fine. Uh smith Tomovan Smith will be fine. Tristan Wirfs is going to help that offensive line immensely. But at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to on the offensive side of the ball is how effective they can run the football. Is Ronald Jones going to be that star running back that everybody wants him to be? Now, they do have Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn, if you're not familiar with this guy, he played at Vanderbilt. And let me tell you, to play in the SEC – and for two years in a row, to rush for over 1,000 yards in the SEC, you have to be a special young man. And Keyshawn Vaughn is um, definitely, definitely a very special man. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think the one thing the Bucks are missing, they don't have a good blocking back. And when you have Tom Brady, now Tom Brady will throw the ball quicker than uh, Jameis Winston did as far as releasing the football, but at the end of the day, you need that guy who can block the blitz. And right now, that's the part that scares me about the Buccaneers' offense. That is the one piece they are missing. They got the best duo and possibly trio of wide receivers in the NFL, when you speak about Godwin, you speak about Evans, both over a thousand yards receiving. They got Tyler Johnson, who you guys are gonna love, you know, especially in the red zone. This guy is just in one of the best college red zone receivers. Last year in all of collegiate football. So a very, very powerful wide receiving crew. And then if you look, <laughs> you look at the tight ends, I mean, how can you get any better at tight ends? You have um, all-pro Ron Gronkowski and then potential all-pro. And I say potential because O.J. Howard. You're going to find out this year how good O.J. Howard is. You're going to find out. Is O.J. Howard a good rec- a tight end or a bad tight end? Because Tom Brady uses his tight ends, and he will use O.J. Howard. So a lot is going to be expected out of O.J. Howard. So I'm really looking forward to that. And as far as the defense goes, that's where I have a little skept- skepticism. You know, yes, they got Winfield You know, Antoine now at safety, which was a great pickup, but I'm still concerned about the cornerback position. You know, Bunting and Evans and uh, the other Evans, I should say, and Edwards, you know, uh, Jamal Dean. You know how well will these guys play on the defensive side of the ball? Obviously, the defensive line was the best defense in rushing against the rush last year. So I don't see that discontinuing. When you got Vita Veya back, you got Sue back, you got um, you know, Shaq Barrett back, um you just got some great, great players. Don't forget Levante David. I mean, you know, he's probably the most underrated defensive player in the NFL. So this team has a lot of potential. The only other hole may be, and a lot of people are asking, how about the kicking game? I think, and this is just my opinion, but I don't think there's going to be a long leash on Matt Gay this year. You know, Matt Gay cost him, well, you know, you never want to say one play. But at the end of the day, you get a kicker to kick a field goal at the end of the game to win. His job is to make field goals. Matt Gay, too many times last year, did not do that. Did not do that versus the Giants. Mr. chip shot from 30-something yards away at the end of regulation time. Cost him the game. Last game of the season versus Atlanta. What happened? I believe he missed two field goals and an extra point. And because of that, the game went to overtime where Winston obviously threw the pick six and they lost that game. So just a lot, you know, I think the team has the ability to win. I think Brady's a great leader. But just like I said before, I want everybody in Tampa Bay to realize this. Tom Brady was not brought in because he was the greatest quarterback or is the greatest quarterback. He was brought in because he is one of the most intelligent quarterbacks and he does not turn over the ball a lot. And I think that's you know what you got to remember. Now, it's amazing if Tom Brady has the year that he is capable of having um that he has had in the past with these two receivers. Yeah. He has the ability to throw for 5,000 yards and possibly have three receivers that uh, have over 1,000 yards receiving. The potential is there. But the question is, is, you know, he's getting older. How are the legs going to hold up? And how is Tom Brady going to hold up? And the problem with Tampa Bay right now is if Tom Brady goes down, they don't have a solid backup in uh, Blaine Gabbert. He is not a solid backup, so that's going to be another issue. So a lot of questions in Tampa Bay. They're good enough. They definitely can.